You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike and here, host, back with another episode. Gives me great pleasure to introduce to you our guest today, Mr. Andre Caldwell. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good, mate. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, working this out. I know we tried to schedule this a few times, but we got it done. We did. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, man. Yeah. Glad that uh, we're both early morning people. So <laughs> that helps. Um, tell me a little bit about you, man. When, when people meet you, how do you introduce yourself? What do you say you do? Oh, how do I introduce myself? Well, I first tell them that I'm a South Carolinian native. Um, I've been in Oklahoma for, let's see, 18 years now. Um, I tell most people I've been in Oklahoma long enough to own a farm, drive a truck, and have a pair of cowboy boots. So certainly a transplant, but uh, South Carolina native. I am an attorney here in Oklahoma City. I'm senior counsel for mobility, surveillance, and bombers at Boeing Defense Space and Security, which is a mouthful. Sounds like a cool job. It's a really cool job. Um, you know, I get to do and see some really cool things. Uh, people are a little more enamored with my title than what they understand that I truly do. But uh, it's a great job, man. I've had a, a very storied career, um, great family. I just, you know, there, there's so many blessings that I have, and it's easy to talk about them at nauseum. So happy days. Uh, well, let's dive into it. So, South Carolina native. Uh, tell me about growing up. Yeah, so um, grew up in Rock Hill, South Carolina, a little small town just over the border from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Rock Hill is actually known as Football USA because we've produced more NFL athletes per capita for the population in most cities of its size. Oh, wow. Um, however, when people first meet me, they recognize I was not one of those NFL athletes that was produced. Um, so grew up there, went to Wofford College for undergrad in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I was a cross-country and track athlete uh, there. I was very fortunate to win a scholarship that provided a full ride, which um, was a, a great blessing to my family and I. And I always knew I wanted to go to law school. Um, and so I started exploring law schools in my junior year of college, randomly got Oklahoma's view book in the mail, checked it out. I applied, met Stan Evans, who I know you know, um, like a second father to me. I said I'd come out and be in Oklahoma for three years, and I've been here ever since. So that's how the story goes. Stan Evans. Colonel Stan Evans. Colonel Stan Evans. What a guy. Um, I haven't seen him in a while. I need to go see him. Uh, so growing up then, athletics seems to be the, the, the just the focus, right? Like you're obviously not as big as all the NFL athletes. <laughs> it sounds like you're pretty quick and had some endurance to run cross country. Yeah, man. You know, um, my parents instilled in me a great work effort and discipline. And so um, I would almost venture to say that athletics was sort of an escape for me. My parents divorced when I was really young and that was hard on me as a kid. And I remember that 
there were two things that sort of drove me to do sports in college, and you're going to laugh at these. Um, one was I needed something to do. Two, if you were on an athletic team, you wouldn't be beat up in the high school. I wanted to get a varsity letter so that I would not get beat up at my very rough high school I was going to. Now, I didn't get a varsity letter in any cool sports, so I probably should have gotten beaten up anyway. But um, I remember... You know, in, in middle school, I had a friend who was running on the varsity or in the JV cross country team in high school, and she mentioned it to me. And I was like, I don't know what cross country is. And, you know, um, sure, I'll go check it out. So that was going to be one of my focal points. And I actually ended up running and, and performed pretty well, obviously, well enough to get a full ride scholarship. My other sport was soccer. Mm. And I remember endlessly, endlessly dribbling and juggling and shooting in the backyard behind my mom's house from sunup to sundown just to perfect the skill. And that's really been sort of a core attribute of how I approach things, just grind and grind and grind to try to get better. Um, again, something that was instilled in me by my parents. My dad was a, uh, a factory worker at a pulp mill, worked a swing shift, endless hours, one of the most dedicated people I've ever met. Um, and my mom was a non-denominational pastor. And so she pastored a church. She also engaged in, uh, in helping elderly individuals. She was a teacher. So I just got to see in both of them qualities that I wanted to instill in myself. And that's just kind of how I've approached life since then. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that if people will follow you on Instagram, they'll know that you aren't shy of putting out your drive and maybe a chip on your shoulder and just kind of like, I mean, it's in your Instagram name, right? Like, where does that come from? Hold on, nasty. Where does that come from? So, so, you know, I don't know where my Instagram name came from. Caldwell dynasty. I, uh, I think when we were having our first kid. See, now I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna own this because I'm dyslexic. I read it as Coldwell Nasty. Well, but you're not the only one who's done that because okay. I had a friend of mine who's like, "Hey, what is Coldwell D Nasty?" And I was like, "No, no, no, no. Let's be very careful here." That's absolutely um, <laughs> hilarious. I just said that out loud. Okay, but no, it's Dynasty. I remember okay. when we were having our our first child. I'm gonna look at you completely different. <laughs> Thank you. Good. That <laughs> um, look, you know. We're going to build a dynasty around the Caldwell family name. Like, I am the legacy. I'm the one that passes on the family name. And so I've got to be a real true representative of my family and, and our um, our shield, our coat of arms, if you will, to make sure the legacy burns on. So, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Uh, brilliant. So you get into track, you get into athletics because um, it's something to do and you don't want to get beat up as a kid. Um, when do you start finding success in it? Oh, man. So <laughs> you'll laugh at this story, too, hopefully. My freshman year in high school, uh, first cross country, I ran with with a coach's son. And we talked about pacing. Pacing's critical for cross country. And he's like, oh, you know, just stick with me. I'm going to run this race. And, and, you know, if you hang to my pace, and you'll be fine. And I'm running with him. And I'm bored out of my mind because we're running so slow. And I, I hate saying that now, but I'm just being very transparent with you about how I feel. So we're really slow. We finished at the back of the pack. And as competitive as I am, I'm like, this is not going to fly for me. And so I just started grinding and grinding, doing the workouts, getting faster, doing the research, et cetera, et cetera. And after that, I was like, you know, I'm going to rise to the ranks. When I started seeing success, I would say it was probably um, towards the end of my sophomore season, beginning of my junior season. My junior season in in, uh, high school, and mind you, like I said, we were... Uh, a football powerhouse. We were a wrestling power. No one cared about cross country at Rock Hill High School. Uh, but my junior year in high school, um, I ended up running pretty well during the season. And then in the regional meet, uh, right the qualifier before state, I remember saying to my dad's the night before, and I got up and I had a breakfast, you're going to laugh, of fried bologna and waffles. And I went out and ran out of my mind. And I finished top 10 in that regional race and was the only state qualifier for our team and went and ran state the next week. And my coach runs up to me and she goes, what did you do last night? Like, where'd that come from? And I go, well, I had fried bologna and waffles. She goes, I want you to do that before every race, which is not advisable for anyone listening to this and thinking that that's going to be the power fuel for you to go run your best race. But uh, I, I just have this vivid memory of that story. So 
Anyway, uh, ran well. Junior year, started getting a lot of recognition. My soccer seasons went really well as well. Um, I just couldn't get recruited to a big enough school, and I needed to find a way to pay for college. I mean, my parents were very blue-collar workers. They scraped for me, and they gave me everything they had, but we needed to sort of meet the gap. So um, I was very fortunate, and I'm sure you're going to want to ask about this story with the scholarship, which I'm happy to tell. But Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely get into that next, but also lose, uh, Usain Bolt won the world's 100 meters and sad world record by eating chicken nuggets. Hey, so, you know, there you go. Whatever works. So yeah, uh, <laughs> continue with the, uh, with the story of your, uh, you know, the, uh, the scholarship. Yeah. So, um, life changing moment for me here. Um, we're looking at schools. I don't, I am one who does not like to follow the beaten path. I want to do something different. All of my friends from high school are going to the University of South Carolina or they're going to Clemson. And I'm a huge Gamecock fan through and through, but I wanted to do something different. Wofford caught my attention. I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. I knew the reputation of the school was about, at that time, 1,200 students, uh, one of the premier liberal arts schools in the South. Um, it, I'm sure it was self-acclaimed, but we called it sort of the Harvard of the South, right? They would not let me into Harvard, so that was not what I took away from it. But um, I wanted to do something different. And as we're looking at scholarships from the cross-country standpoint, the budget's small. They didn't have a great cross-country team at Wofford. Um, my coach put me in to interview for what's called the J.J. Richardson Scholarship. And so um, each incoming each sport could choose one incoming freshman athlete to interview for the scholarship and i interviewed and i won it now jj richardson is a former owner of the carolina panthers he's a wofford alum played football at wofford graduated went on to play wide receiver for the indianapolis colts won a super bowl with johnny unitas took his super bowl check started the hardy's franchise made billions of dollars owned an NFL franchise and he has poured money into Wofford College. And so I had the unique opportunity to interview for the scholarship and I won it. And it was by far the greatest weekend of my adolescent youth, right? The, the really cool thing about the scholarship, it paid full tuition, room, board, books. It also provided you a summer internship. Your freshman summer, you could choose Spartanburg or Charlotte your sophomore summer anywhere in the U.S., your junior summer anywhere in the world, all paid for. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when I say life-changing, life-changing. And so, um, and then on top of that, I mean, I just had a, a really good relationship with Mr. Richardson. I mean, we would meet. Um, he would provide mentorship. I would go to the Panthers games. I would travel to the Panthers games at times. Um my neighbor across the street from my dad was his head security guard. And so like I had a lot of connections to, to Mr. Richardson. Uh, sadly, he passed away last year. Uh, he passed away this year. Um, actually went back for his funeral and I had the great pleasure of giving the opening convocation speech at Wofford this year before the freshman class in the Jerry Richardson indoor stadium. So we talk about full circle moments. I mean, it was a full circle moment, but that really sort of set the path for the experiences I had, shaped who I am, what I've seen, and then sort of guided how I've proceeded beyond that. Uh, of all the other athletes that got that scholarship, did you did you feel like you got the most out of it? Like, did everyone else kind of take it as, as kind of serious as you did and be as close to Mr. Richardson and kind of learn from him? Or did you realize that you had a huge opportunity here and you wanted to learn as much from this guy as possible? You know, that scholarship has been in existence for a number of years. Um, I think it's kind of hard for me to judge that. I do think that there are some who really took advantage of it. But, you know, if I were to try to measure myself up on the gratitude scale as, and being as competitive as I am, I don't think anyone's as grateful as I am. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I figured. <laughs> Just kind of what you've been talking about and how uh, how kind of you know you you talk about the grind and being focused and dedicated and that you know you, you attack everything with everything you have. Uh, when do you when and why do you want to be a lawyer? Like when does that come in? Sounds like it comes in very early on. Very very early. Um, <clears throat> you take those aptitude tests in middle school. Yeah. What do you, you know, what are you inclined towards? What would interest you? Um, what does your skill set sort of lend itself to? And I remember getting back to, I call it three sort of uh, potential careers. One, a lawyer. Second was a criminologist. And third was law enforcement. 
all three things which I actually truly consider doing. But from like eighth grade, I said, you know what? I want to be a lawyer. Um, to my mom's credit, um, the, the ultimate planner, as I expressed that interest, she found ways to connect me with people in the community so I could intern and shadow and really see what it was about. And so I worked with a number of lawyers in the Rock Hill area, in the Charlotte area, um, to observe and see what they do and see if this is something that I wanted to pursue long term. Um, so it, you know, the thread was there. And it just got pulled on and pulled on and pulled on throughout high school. And then there was sort of, you know, point of no return. I, I will say that sophomore summer that I was able to work anywhere in the U.S., I went and worked for a CPA up in Washington, D.C., because I wanted to take a break from the legal path to make sure I was truly interested in doing it. I didn't want to burn myself out. And I was interested in sort of finance and numbers. And so I went and did that. It was a good experience, but it really solidified for me. Yeah, I, I want to do law. Um, I've always had a very strong interest in talking to people, connecting with people, and persuading people. My tagline used to always be, you know, I, I can sell you. Get me face-to-face with you. I'll sell you every time, right? That's, that's how I, I, I positioned myself. And so I've had, you know, a lot of fun and success in being persuasive and trial and oral argument and things like that. And then just genuinely connecting with people. Like, that's what my personality is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so... For obviously early age, law is on the mind and that's just kind of reinforced when you do these internships. Tell me about meeting Stan, going to OU, that whole experience. Yeah, yeah, Stan. I love that guy. There's no other way to put it. Um, I was in a, a rough place my senior year looking at law schools. I didn't do as well in the LSAT as I would have liked. Um, I had a very negative experience with a, a mentor, um, just when I was facing law schools and was kind of down and out. <clears throat> and I talked to Stan uh, when I looked at OU. I knew nothing about Oklahoma. Where is it? What is there? How do you get around? Did it have buildings? Like, I knew nothing about it. This is, you know, college age kid in South Carolina. And I talked to him on the phone. He goes, Why don't you come out and visit? And so my family, my mom, my sister, my grandmother, and I packed up the car and we drove to Oklahoma. And we met Stan, and he talked to us about the school. Um, he and I had some one-on-one time. It was very interesting. I had written a philosophy honors thesis in undergrad about Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and about their theories and how they converged to, you know, in my thesis, really present the civil rights movement as a whole. They couldn't have been effective without each other. Stan took a very strong interest to that because he had written a paper about Martin Luther King Jr. And we sat there and debated the theories and his movement and his speeches and, and the civil rights movement. And we just connected over that. Um, come to find out like 10 or 15 years later, he was actually fraternity brothers with MLK. Remembers sitting with him on the yard in Howard. I mean, you know, that man is just a, a gem of, of memories. But in any event, we had a great conversation. I told my mom, I want to go to Oklahoma. I want to do something different off the beaten path. <clears throat> um, I will do it. My, my thought process was I was going to do it for three years. I was going to go back to Charlotte. I was going to be a general counsel for the Carolina Panthers because me and Mr. Richardson were so tight at the hip, right? You know, just naive college kid. Um, but, you know, I would have had that experience in Oklahoma. And he looked at my mom and he goes, I will take care of your son. You can trust me. I will take care of your son. And he has been a man of his word, true to his word. And of course I met my wife in law school. So I've been here ever since, but that's how we got here. Um, I wasn't quite sold on it, but I've gotten to see the evolution of Oklahoma city and of the state of Oklahoma as a whole. And it's been pretty awesome. Yeah. What years were that, that you were in law school? I was in law school from Oh five to Oh eight. Okay. Yeah, so, and it's actually funny, I remember asking, what do you guys do for fun around here? And they go, go to Bricktown. And so we packed up the car and drove to Bricktown, and there was like spaghetti warehouse and nothing else. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be rough. <laughs> so when I say I've seen the evolution of Oklahoma City, like I've seen the evolution. It's awesome. God, you got me by a few years. I got here, well, more than a few. I got here at 22, August of 2011. Uh, 
and the Devon Tower was still being built. And that's the only thing I can remember from my first day stepping on the range at Lake Hefner <laughs> with my university team, looking down, being like, why is there a crane? <laughs> what the hell is that down there? It's just this giant building sticking out of downtown. Nothing else there. Uh, but yeah, it's come a long way. A long a way. A very long way. And I think like, you know, something that, you know, we both know, like you're very involved um, and have become very involved in, you know, a bunch of organizations and obviously we connected to the Oklahoma Hall of Fame which you're on the board at um, but before we dive into that stuff I want to touch on you keep repeating doing things off the beaten path why? Um, I'm a big believer in um, fueling growth through stretching yourself and so when I say off the beaten path like a challenge um, and, and I will I will say I had a realization probably within the last year or two that that, that experience I mentioned in undergrad when I was looking at law schools, that was probably the, the ignition to going off the beaten path because the way it was communicated to me was you can't do this. And the only reason why that's being made is because of your race. Right. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love a detractor. You, you, you fuel me, you motivate me. Um, it's, it's probably sad to say I'm fueled by fear of failure. So I like to go do th- different things. Um, and that's, you know, transition through my career. I mean, I'm on my sort of fourth, uh, practice area experience in my legal career. And a lot of people don't do that because they go in, they do their job, they get very focused and niched and they're really good at it. And, kudos to them that's great for them I want the all around picture and I want to keep growing a skill set and so I've gone off the beaten path in a lot of ways cross country was off the beaten path soccer was off the beaten path you know you, you look at stereotypes let's go play basketball and football right, right. Um, you know no let's, let's expand let's do something different prove that it can be done take the challenge um, you know motivate yourself by fear of fear. judo I did competitive judo for four years and that was a stretching of myself now I wrestled in high school but that was a stretch um, and that was fun I just like chasing new fun things and the challenge I can't get under control is my golf game man I was waiting for that I know I know we were gonna get there um, and, and yeah I'm not gonna go down a rabbit trail but I played really good golf in college when I have more time and, and now I'm my grind is to get back to playing a solid golf game. You need a bigger office with a hitting net and a putting mat in your office. I, I don't think Boeing is going to provide that for me, but I will ask. I mean, <laughs> the small fuel to the fire, right? That's right. Uh, wow. So, so after you graduate college, um, do you have a bunch of offers to go to like to work? Do you think about staying in Oklahoma? Obviously, you meet your wife at college, so that I assume is she from here, and that kind of keeps you here. She's from the Dallas area. Um, and yeah, she was a year behind me, so that she sort of so kept good. me here. Yeah, um, I had an offer to go back to the to South Carolina. I had I clerked at a firm in Greenville, which is outside of Spartanburg, mm. and so I had that option um, to go home. I also had an offer at Crow and Dunleavy here in, in Tulsa, actually. And I had interned there and was sort of set to go there. But my first career out of law school was at the U.S. Attorney's Office. It was really sort of a uh, turn of events because I externed there during my second year of law school and made some relationships, connected with people, hard work ethic. And a very unique opportunity was made for me to come into that role. Um, one of the AUSAs had gone on a detail. This is you know, during the war on terror, um, um, you know, Guantanamo detainees. I mean, there was a lot of national security division work going on. And this one AUSA left and created a, a backfill position. And the U.S. attorney at the time, a guy by the name of John Richter, said, hey, look, this is unique. Can't promise you can get done, but what would you think about coming on for 14 months? He's like, it'll be great for you, great for your firm. You'll get trial experience. Um, you'll get thrown in, you know, trial by fire. And then, you know, if there's no full-time position afterwards, you go to your firm. They're better off because you're trained. If there is a full-time position, you apply for it competitively. And if you're selected, then you can stay on. Hands down, no-brainer decision, right? Um, so... I went on and that was sort of the start to my legal career and to just address a 
quick comment you made, you know, did you have a lot of offers and things like that? You'll laugh at this, I'm sure. I have a copy of every rejection letter I got from a law firm. Love that. I pulled it out the other day. And as it, but when I was making the decision to go to Boeing, I pulled it out and like laid them out across the table. And I was like, you guys missed out. <laughs> you guys missed out. You had an opportunity. Yeah. And I get it. You couldn't have seen it at that time. But you missed out. And I keep those letters and I have them handy and I can pull them out just to remind myself like you were able to do hard things and overcome challenges that could have been crushing. That's the reality of it. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's powerful too, right? And you just draw, again, that's something you can draw fuel from. And so many examples of like ways that you can take you know, failures and, and setbacks and push you forward and, and, and it gets you in a mindset of, I'm going to show you, right? Show you how to do this. Um, so, so you do that at U.S. Attorney's Office. When, tell me about your first trial. How was that? Oh, man. Uh, I remember it vividly. It was great. Uh, I, I say great. I mean, obviously, it was, it was a little sad because you have someone who's committed a crime and they're going to face jail time for it. Um, I tried a felon in possession of a firearm case against a, a lawyer named Perry Hudson, great lawyer. His client's name was Floyd Eugene Fisher. Mr. Fisher, I think, was in his late 60s, early 70s at the time. He had, um, had a very storied history in the criminal system. Um, under federal law, if you are a felon, you cannot possess a firearm. If you have two no, it's three, three qualifying priors, then your penalty is automatically elevated to a mandatory minimum of 15 years if you're convicted. It's called the Armed Career Criminal Act. Uh, at that time, and, and still now, but I think it was a little more stringent at that time, we had to prove up priors after a conviction. So I tried the case. Um, we won. When I say trial by fire, like I graduated in May, took the bar in July, Found out how to pass in September. I was in trial in February. And I think they probably gave me a little more leeway than they should have. I was in trial by myself. Like someone should have been there with a leash on me because I was just like, oh, I've seen this on TV. This is easy, right? It, it was not right. It was I watch right. suits. I can do this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I remember making some, some arguments during my closing statement. And after I walked back, like one of the supervisors uh, was in the in the gallery watching, and you know the jury got uh, retired to go deliberate. And she goes, "Hey, I, I wouldn't have said that. You got to be careful about that." I'm like, "Oh, I just thought that was cool, like theatrics, right?" No, not cool. Anyway, um, so Mr. Uh, Fisher got convicted. Um, I had to prove up his priors, and I remember one of the priors I had I used to prove up one of his informations was from like the 70s, I think, over in Oklahoma County. And it was signed off on by the district attorney at the time, Andy Coates, who was my dean of the law school at OU. I just graduated with this dean less than like six months ago, um, who was the father of Sandy Coates, who was my colleague at the U.S. Attorney's Office and is now my colleague at Boeing. I mean, it was just a... Sandy uses a phrase, Oklahoma City is the biggest cul-de-sac in America. And it really is like that. But I remember that trial vividly. It was a, a good start. It set the foundation for how the bench would view me because I was prepared. I grinded. I got down into the weeds. I wanted to know everything. Um, you know, I was not nervous about speaking in front of people. Um, and I think Judge Friar, who presided over that judge, really took a liking to me after that. Over the four years I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I tried north of 20-plus jury trials. Um, and so really got some great experience, and it kind of shaped how things progressed from there. Yeah. Does, does the feeling of being uh, in, you know, in, in the room and, and, and trying cases, like, replicate kind of that, like, athletic feeling of, like, that nervousness before a game, like, before the gun goes off or cross country? Like, is it kind of very similar? You nailed it. You nailed it. It is all the nerves, all the emotions, all the feelings, and you just inhale at the start and you exhale all that doubt and you get to it. You get to it. Now, now I, I should temper that to say as much as competitive as I am in athletics, it's not competitive in trying to do justice to the extent that you'll do anything to win. Right. right? Yeah. 
But there is that very, like, I'm hyper-focused. Like, I have a, a goal. I have a mission. I got to do my job. And so, yeah, I was able to draw upon that athletic experience to sort of shape that. Yeah. Well, and it's the preparedness, right? Like, that's the stuff, too. It's just, like, you're fully prepared and, you know, you're ready and you take trust in the fact that you have prepared. Um, and it just helps you go forward. Uh, tell me about Boeing. How was that? How did that come about? And then you mentioned you've been you know, you're in your fourth different area of Boeing. So we can talk about that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, at the U.S. attorney's office, four years, the fourth different area is Boeing. So between that, I went to Crow and Dunleavy in Oklahoma city for a while, um, for about four and a half, five years. And I went to Ogletree Deacons, the labor employment firm for about four and a half, five years. Um, so Boeing, uh, really is a real, uh, result of relationships. When I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I worked with Sandy Coates. I worked with a guy named Jeb Boatman. And the backfill I filled is for a guy named Michael Clayton. Um, so when when Boeing really expanded in Oklahoma City probably 10, 10 or so years ago, Jeb Boatman was the first person to hold the role that I currently hold. He promoted, elevated. Michael Clayton came in and filled the role. He promoted, elevated. Sandy Coates came in and filled the role. Sandy moved into a different division within the group, I came in and filled the role. So about a year or so ago, um, Sandy was looking to move into a different position at Boeing in the litigation and investigations department, because I don't do litigation anymore. Um, that's, that's really how I grew up, but it's not what I do now. And he said, hey, um, don't know if you're interested, but want to have a dialogue about this. I'm moving into this different position. They told me, go find my replacement. What do you think? I mean, I'm not interested. You know, I was interested years ago. I, I chased Jeb and I chased Michael and I said, hey, you guys need somebody to come over there? And they're like, ah, we're good. All right, fine. Uh, but I said, you know, I'll listen. I will never turn down the opportunity to listen. And so uh, we talked and then I uh, went and met with some additional people within the Boeing legal department. When I tell you that this legal department is top notch, I mean, the pedigree of some of these lawyers is incredible. And hearkening back to that concept I said about stretching yourself, I just knew there was so much I could learn from these people with their vast experience. When, when I say like incredible, one of our VPs is a former um, national security advisor for Biden and Trump, right? Um, my general counsel now is... Um, used to work in the office of uh, the White House Council, White House Council, um, and worked for Loretta Lynch when she was um, the Attorney General. My former General Counsel, the one who actually hired me, is a former General Counsel for Department of Defense and former Deputy General Counsel for the CIA, and also was a Naval Intelligence Officer. You know, standard stuff, right? Um, really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and I mean, I, I talked about the law enforcement piece that interested me in the past and the military piece. I mean, I was very interested in going into the military. Like all of that really sort of came together. And so it was hard. It's hard leaving jobs. I really connect with people and it's hard. But I saw the challenge and the opportunity to stretch myself and grow. And so I pursued it. Um, and I came over and I told you the role I'm currently filling. And uh, it's been really interesting. And I do a lot of cool stuff. We do some really cool stuff for Boeing in Oklahoma City. So we're an engineering center of excellence. Um, we support the AWACS aircraft, the E3. So the one that you see with the big hockey puck rotating radome on the top. Um, we will soon be supporting the E7, which is the wedge tail. The Australians call it the wedge tail. It's the one that has sort of a surfboard on top. As the U.S. begins to age out their fleet over the next five or six years, we're planning on putting the E7 online. It will be housed at Tinker. Um, our site also supports the B-1 bomber, um, known as the Bone or the Lancer. It's a loud airplane. And my windows in my office rattle when it takes off, and I love every minute of that. Um, we support the B-2 bomber, um, the B-52. We're working on the new B-52 right now. Um, we support the executive transport fleet. People don't understand what that means. That's Air Force One, the president's airplane. We support that out of Oklahoma City. 
Air Force Two, um, which is a C-32 aircraft. We support that. Um, E-4B, the doomsday plane, the plane that will uh, ensure continuity of defense operations in the event of a nuclear war. We support that of Oklahoma City. E-6, the Tacomo, take charge and move out. It's a naval communications relay plane to communicate to the uh, submarines that are carrying nuclear ballistic missiles thousands of miles underneath the sea. We support that out of Oklahoma City. Uh, We also support the international head of state portfolio, which is Air Force One for other countries. So a couple weeks ago, I told you I traveled in September. I was in India. Had to go over and, and meet with some counterparts there on some issues that had come up legally. And while over there, I got to get on Prime Minister Modi's 777 head of state aircraft. That's not stuff I was doing sitting in my office looking, looking at, you know, contracts that people are mad about or, you know, a sexual harassment claim that came in through HR. Not to say that any of those things are minor. It's just the opportunity to keep adding, you know, arrows to your quiver. And it's been freaking awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you have time to, like, enjoy India? Or was it just on the plane, work, work, and that come back? Man, it was nonstop. I did have some time to enjoy it. Um, You know, people tell me I need to slow down. I really do need to slow down. But it was a whirlwind. I think I napped in two-hour segments while I was in India. We would meet. We'd go to the air station. We'd meet. We'd meet. Then we'd go to the markets and try to enjoy some of the culture. And then I would work a normal U.S. day. Um, so they're 10 and a half hours ahead. So I'd wake up in time to take calls at midnight there, which are, you know, 8.30 a.m. here or 9.30 a.m. here. Um, it was it was good, but it was a whirlwind. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the good part, too, like about your job, right, is that you're able to travel. And I know you go to D.C. every now and then, and, you know, you're around all these cool aircrafts. And, you know, like I said, the windows are shaking when these things are taking off. Like the child in you is mm-hmm. just grinning from ear to ear when you see a giant plane take off, right? You're absolutely right. I just gave a presentation at law conference uh, a couple of weeks ago and talked about my eight-year-old Lincoln. He's my golfer. Um, I've talked to you about him before. Uh, and, and told the story about how we're watching Top Gun Maverick and there's actually a P-3 Orion um, surveillance plane that's being used during the final mission. And he's like, hey, Dad, that's your plane, which is truly not, but he understands what I work on and what I do. And I got to tell that story. And I'm like, guys, sometimes in these hard times that we have in the company, when we're all focused on you know, dividends and returns on shares and, you know, what does our revenue look like and, you know, where are we at on orders? Like, back up and look at things through the eyes of an eight-year-old and think about how exciting it is to work on the stuff that we're working on and to, you know, understand that we're supplying the warfighter and its allies in a very tumultuous time geopolitically. So, yeah. yeah. That is special stuff. Uh, tell me about being a dad. How's that? Oh, it's it's rewarding. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. It's maddening. Uh, it's every emotion you can possibly think as we try to build the Caldwell dynasty. But uh, it's great. I've got a 10-year-old, Ethan. He is uh, at class in middle school. Um, he is my... He's my engineer. That kid's brain and the way it works is incredible. Uh, he is very advanced for his age. I've got an eight-year-old, Lincoln. Lincoln's my gamer. That kid is an athlete. He's the kid who's going to be out in the backyard dribbling from sunup to sundown and try to get better at that sport. Great golfer. Um, great cross-country runner, as I've learned as of late. Um, he, he just does it all. And then I've got that princess that we just could not go without having my little six-year-old Mahela. She's my dancer. She's my cheerleader. She's my daddy's girl. Who's got me wrapped around her finger. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I will admit I'm very hard on them. Um, and they recognize it, but I just have the most amazing kids on the face of the planet. And, and of course that goes without saying that really my wife is the reason why they're amazing. Not me. Uh, my wife, Mary's awesome. She is a, uh, professor at OCU law, an adjunct professor. She also drives a, a house flipping business that we have, um, design, you know, down to actually doing the work herself. Um, I can't do, I can do demo. I'm really good at demo and I'm really good at writing checks. I am not good at putting stuff together. The other night she asked me to cut some wood with a circular saw and I was surprised she gave me that sort of leeway because I could have screwed that up really fast. Um, but 
Yeah, we've been together for for years, and just very fortunate to have the family that I have. We just so much so greatness there. Yeah. How do you how do you draw your experiences, your hard work, your passion, your work ethic, and and like the the stuff that you've learned over the years? How do you draw that and condense it down into like an eight year old? Yeah, kids like that's tough. It right? is tough. It is tough. Um, the thing that I recognize I fell out the, fail at the most is trying to remember how I view things as an eight year old because now at 40 I want them to be probably more mature than what they are and to think differently than how they do um, you know I, I think you instill that by repetition and absolutely by being an example um, my kids will see me when they wake up at 6 30 they see me coming back in from a workout Oh, and I'll get asked, how was your bike ride? How was your run? How was the gym? If they're hearing that and seeing that, those are the kind of habits they're going to take with them later on. Um, you know, they hate when I travel. My, my daughter is really, it's really becoming hard on her. You have to leave again. Why do you have to leave again? I sit and explain. It's a part of dad's job. This is a sacrifice that's made. You were very fortunate. And, and it's been a grind to get here. So understand that hard work reaps great rewards and results right um so i think it's just by being an example and and let me be very clear it's not just me my wife is also a prime example of that and together you know we try to instill in them what we hope they will be in the future um and she makes up for my weaknesses and I try to make up for hers. And I say try to make up for hers because she has very few weaknesses. But, um, you know, it's just it's a partnership. It's hard work, but, you know, something we're committed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you strike me as someone who's always got, like, a plan. You mentioned your mom was a planner. <laughs> and you've kind of always got an eye on where maybe you want to do something you want to do, where you want to go, what you'd like to do. Um, does public office come into that? Mm, mm. <laughs> why would you? Why would you ask that? Because this might put you up to asking that question. No, really didn't actually. Just, I've I been just asked like, that question a lot. When are you running for office? When are you running? Yeah. No interest. Zero. Zero interest. Good to you. Zero interest. I, I recognize the importance of politicians and the roles they hold, but I'm a firm believer in. You do more work behind the scenes than the person out front. And that's not to say the people out front aren't doing work, mm -hmm. but the real work is done behind the scenes. And, and I'm grateful that I have been recognized for work that I've done, but that is not the motivation that has, has me doing the work, yeah. right? So I don't want to drag my family through politics. Mm -hmm. I think politics has become a game as of late. I think it's, it's becoming very divisive and it's really unfortunate. Um, I don't have any interest. I, I see myself affecting more change behind the scenes and out front. So, yeah. which that, I mean, that kind of leads into like being on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame board and, you know, you've, you've had, you had a pretty big award from the Indusmatch Foundation this year and like doing other stuff, right? Like the, you do um, give your time and, and create change, not just in work as well, which is obviously a great kind of example to your kids as well. Um, Tell me about then the future. Then what? What do you see? What do you want to do? Like what? You know, if you're if you're at Colonel Stan's age now, like looking back, like you know, do you want to be a Boeing for the rest of your life? Do you want to challenge? I don't strike. You know, you want to challenge yourself, but like, what is the biggest challenge to you right now? You know, um, that's a good question. Uh, I am a a planner to an extent. And I say it like this. I, I never envisioned I would be at Boeing. Sure. I didn't envision I'd be at the U.S. Attorney's Office. I came into law school when I told you about those shadowing experiences. I shadowed a criminal defense attorney. So when I came into law school, I said, I'm going to be a criminal defense attorney when I graduate. And I followed that path as much as I could, but it didn't materialize until later. Right. So I have concepts in mind, but I don't have firm plans. Stan, I love Stan to death. And I came in my first year of law school because I want you to pull out a three by five index card. I want you to lay out your one year, three year and five year goals. And I just rolled my eyes at him. What am I going to do with this? You know, what, why, why should I do it? He goes, do it, do it. And I said, OK, I love that man. I'm going to do it. And I did it and I put it away. I remember graduating and I pulled it out and I'd hit every one of those goals. And so I guess there's some subconscious plan, 
but I don't have a firm written down like I want to be here. I have explored a lot of different paths over the years. I interviewed for a federal judicial position, made it to the final cut, didn't get selected. And I think that worked out in my favor. It would have been a great job, but I would not have had the experience that I have now. Um, where do I see myself post Boeing? I don't know that I've even looked that far. My, my focus right now is on trying to understand as much as I can about my role and about the company. And one of the big attractive features to Boeing was that you can do so much within the company. Business development, contracting, um, you know, program manager for a certain program, you know, the autonomous phantom works type stuff, like the super secret squirrel stuff. Like I have some of that stuff in my portfolio, but like if you did that all the time, like that would be really cool. Um, and I'm just being present in the moment I'm in right now. Where do I see myself at Stan's age? Playing better golf. Um, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and put, I'm going to manifest that, right? Um, playing better golf really making sure that I am setting my kids up for success. Um, you know, I have I've changed enough and I've been stretched enough that it's gotten harder and harder each time. So I have no true interest in looking at anything else right now. But, you know, as with the Boeing opportunity, you know, I, I will always listen. I, I think it'd be a detriment if I didn't listen. Yeah. To that point of you, you know, wanting to set your kids up for success, um, what does success look like for you and mm-hmm. how would you give that lesson to people listening and mentor you know I'm, I'm sure you're a mentor of someone now um, you're kind of in that role maybe um, but how, how do you put that across how do you teach you know kids coming out of high school and college that like you know it's easy to say yeah it takes hard work and ethics you know it takes work ethic and, 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 and grind and stuff and but how do you put that in a practical sense? Yeah, yeah, that's a good it's a question. That's a good question. Um, I think I view success as being comfortable with who I am. Um, it's not a, I got to have so much in the bank account or I've got to hold this title or I have to have won this award or done this thing. I am very comfortable with who I am and what I've done to this point that I have a great family that I spend time with and I'm not absent. Um, I have a great job that I can learn in and excel in. And yeah, I will make mistakes, but guess what? I've had hurdles in the past and I've gotten over them. So I'm not going to let one derail me and I'm comfortable in that. Um, you know, the, the fact that I will take care of myself physically and mentally um, having a routine to figure out how to um, de-stress myself, if you will. Um, knowing how to cope with imposter syndrome. When, when I tell you about the pedigree of this law department, it's very easy to be like, I did not go to the school you went to. I did not clerk for the Supreme Court justice you clerked for. I did not work in the job that you worked in. But you know what? I've got a pretty imp- incredible skill set myself. And we compliment each other. I don't have to be you. You don't have to be me. Let's compliment each other. And so when I, when I think about success for my kids, I want them to be comfortable in who they are, right? They don't have to be me. Um, they don't have to be my wife. But I want them to be comfortable in who they are. And, and I do want them to be good citizens and good stewards. That would be the only thing I ask of them, Right. Um, I don't care what their job is. I wish they weren't, they wouldn't be lawyers. Um, if they want to, it's fine, but I'm pushing them away from that. Um, but I just want them to be good citizens, good stewards, good contributors, um, good people, um, because we've lost a lot of that soft skill, I think, in society, which is really sad. But that's, that's what I view as success. And if I can guide them along that path, and I know I've done my job. Great answer. Uh, finishing it up. What's in your Starbucks cup? What's the order? Oh, dark roast all day. Really? Yeah. Um, I have a coffee addiction, which I, you know, I will observe it. I will, I will uh, highlight it and recognize it. I have way too much coffee, but dark roast, fully loaded, fully leaded cowboy coffee yeah. all day, every day, four, five, six cups a day. Do you have like a kind of secret dream and want to you mentioned a farm and a truck earlier like you just want to retire on a farm and have a horse and a truck and like i don't i don't think so man you know 
I want to retire playing good golf. Yeah. Yeah. That's my focus right now. Um, I, I don't know, man. We will always be busy with something. That's just the nature of our family and our relationship. We will always be busy with something. Ten years ago, we, we redid our house. We bought a house, built in 1919, ripped it down to the studs and redid it. And I said, never again. And here we are, ten years later, doing it again. Same house? It's a different house. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, it's a different house. And I'm sure once we get over the scars of this house, my wife's going to say, let's go do it again. I'm like, God dang it, why? We, we just, we can't not be busy. Yeah. Um, but there is balance that's needed, and I'm trying to figure out how to take a step back. You talk about being involved in a lot of things. I'm involved in a lot of things. Mm. And part of my growth is to figure out how to say no more. Mm. Right? So I'm working on that. But I couldn't say no to this. Oh, I um, that. No, and this is all, and I, I'm glad that you gave me the opportunity. I'm looking at some of the people you interviewed. I'm like, man, you scraped the bottom of the barrel coming to pull me in today. <laughs> but, on. but no. grateful for you having me and for their friendship of that we're, we're building and and uh, you know, it's just we're gonna go viral. We're gonna go viral. We're gonna go viral. We need to go play golf. <laughs> Still, uh, well, mate, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I know you got to get out of here and, and hit the road, to go pick up your kids. But I um, appreciate you coming in. I uh, appreciate you sharing. Uh, and I look forward to doing this again in five, ten years. And there's no limit to how many times you can be on the podcast. Love it. So just keep grinding, keep doing great things, and uh, there'll be a reason to come back and chat. So, I love it. Thank you, man. Uh, for people listening, you can go follow Andre at Coldwell Dynasty, not Coldwell Nasty, because <laughs> I'm dyslexic. Uh, on Instagram, I'll put that in the description down below, and we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram, at DiffieFordLincoln. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.